Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm Carol Daniel, here with Michael Scully, Regional President of PNC. Each podcast features local and regional C-level executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform provides insights on forward-thinking business approaches that disrupt the status quo and encourage business leaders to think differently. Today, Mike and I welcome Ron Darty, President and CEO of Darty Business Solutions. Ron, it's great to have you. Let's get started right away. People hear the word technology, but they don't think about diverse technology, the workforce of the future, and how that all is played to meet business needs. So let's start by talking about Access Point as a program to meet rising demand in IT. Well, wonderful. I love talking about Access Point. And you know, Carol, the the way that Access Point was, was created is that a couple of years ago, I was looking at the technology workforce here in St. Louis, looking for ways to create an even larger, make St. Louis even more of a technology hub. Let me say it that way. And so I formed an alliance of several chief information officers in town from MasterCard and Bear and Express Scripts, Cigna, from uh, Ameren and, uh, and a couple of other companies. And what we found is that over the next three years, there will be about 4,000 new technology jobs created in this region, just at the current pace that we're on. And that's, that's, that's without even sampling the entire region. And so when we looked closer, I found that 1,500 of those jobs would need to be filled by entry-level individuals. And so that's where the pivot occurred. Just think of that, 1,500 jobs that will need to be filled by entry-level individuals, which means we'll need to train to create those capabilities. So if we're going to have to train up 1,500 people, why not very intentionally focus on underrepresented groups and then address two issues at the same time, the need for more capability in the technology workforce and the need for more diversity in the technology workforce. So that's how Access Point came into being. Access Point from the concept that technology is equally distributed, but access to opportunity is not. So we're going to change that equation. Ron, I think a lot of people would be surprised at the, the depth and scale of, of Darty. Recently, the Business Journal had a listing, and right at the top of most IT professionals and largest was your firm, a firm you started. And you have, you know, you just mentioned the difficulty in hiring IT professionals, but you have 1,500 throughout your offices. How have you managed to grow in that scale in just relatively a short, short term? Well, I appreciate that question. We just passed the 2,000 employee mark, and we've hired we've hired over 400 new teammates into the company just this year so far. So one of the ways we deal with that, or one of the ways that that we uh, we've achieved that, is to be uh, an employer of choice, a destination employer. We were um, just a couple of years ago named the number one best employer across all industries in the St. Louis region. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway was second, Edward Jones was third, Darty was number one in the large company category. We've received best place to work, best and brightest, best company awards in every region, all of the, the several regions in which we do business around the country. So being thought of as a good place to work. Another thing that we do is we, we really focus on hiring talented people 
And we don't always require that they have every capability that we need, just that they be what we call a darty profile, a smart, likable person who you would proudly introduce to your best customer. And then we invest in those people. So a, 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 an important component of our model is to hire talent and then invest in talent. So we have a Darty University program. We've taken hundreds of folks right out of college into Darty University for uh, several weeks of intensive training, then paired them with experienced Darty teammates on, on, on engagements and, and had a tremendous amount of success. So it's certainly, it's certainly a competitive, it's a competitive area. There is not enough supply to meet the demand. So our approach has been be a destination employer, number one, and number two, create more supply. And I love that phrase, destination employer. Uh, and as you well know, there's been a cultural shift in advanced analytics. So let's talk about what is needed for a business to not only remain competitive, but so that their decision making on that front is effective. Well, analytics is such an interesting area. And, you know, one of the things driving it is two things driving it. The, the dramatic increase in computing power and the vast amounts of data that are now available. Those two things are related. So I'm taking chess lessons now, taking chess lessons with a grandmaster who's the coach of St. Louis University. This is through the, the chess club, a great organization here in town. Alejandro Ramirez, the first grandmaster from Costa Rica, still a young man, a very young man. And so I was talking with him. We were analyzing a famous chess game from the 70s, Bobby Fischer versus Boris Spassky. You may remember that. Boris Spassky, the, the, the Russian reigning world champion in chess, and Bobby Fischer, the upstart from the United States. And so Bobby was winning the, this, this, this very, very highly visible, important chess tournament. And there was speculation at the time that maybe he was using some kind of a, of a computer system to help him, some, some sort of a, of, a, of, a, of a massive computer network to help him. And all the grandmasters at that time laughed because no computer, no, not the, not the largest, most complex, most powerful computer in the world could even begin to compete with a grandmaster in the 70s. But Alejandro was telling me as we, as we, as we analyzed that lesson that today, today, if Magnus Carlsen, the reigning world champion in chess, played the smartphone in your pocket, the smartphone would beat him every time, every time. So the massive supercomputers that existed in the 70s couldn't even start to compete. The phone in your pocket can beat Magnus Carlsen every time. That's how much computing power has progressed over the last several years. And so that opens up capabilities, uh, analytical modeling techniques that, that just would, would, would not be feasible because they required so much computing power to run can be done easily now. And so capability there. And, and in addition, in addition, because of things like mobile computing or what we sometimes call the Internet of Things, that is devices that have computers in them from uh, uh, you know, just the 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 electric uh, uh, oh, utility uh, companies, uh, devices that collect information uh, to 
to the phone in your pocket, to, to, to the refrigerator in your house, to everything. There are, there are uh, electronic devices that can capture data. So there's a vast in, uh, amount of data to process. Great computing cap capability, a lot of data. And so analytics can do things we could never do before. And, and so, so many things are going on around that. One being just the cultural adjustment. The, it's interesting when you look at new technology, the, 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 the common challenge that always runs through new technology is change management, getting people to accept it. Uh, it it's, it's not a technology challenge. It's a human behavior challenge. And so with, with analytics, that's what we run into. The, the corporate executives want to use their intuition, which is good, and they should use it, but they sometimes shy away from using advanced analytics to help them as well. Can I give you an example? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, based on tuition and judgment of their executives, determined a few years ago that women would greatly prefer Coke Cherry Zero over men. That's just what they thought. Experience-based uh, intuition and and not data driven or analytically driven decision making. So we came in and used advanced analytics and showed that men like Coke Cherry Zero every bit as much as women. And so there was a shift in Coke's marketing spend that resulted in millions and millions of dollars of additional revenue. They weren't even advertising to men. They, they decided men won't like Coke Cherry Zero. That's just what they thought. They were wrong, but data proved them proved that they were incorrect in that in that that conclusion. And so, so yeah, sure, we should all use our intuition and our judgment and our common sense. But let analytics, advanced analytics, big data, in, um, uh, artificial intelligence, cognitive computing, uh, machine learning, all the things that are available to us now. Let those things assist and your organization can become more competitive and more effective than ever before. Ron, I absolutely love that analogy with, with chess and the enormity of computing power. I wonder if you might offer a, a second uh, example and talk about supply chain, because that's a word we hear virtually every day, and how uh, you meet the dramatic shift in our consumers' digital buying behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's such a fascinating area. The supply chain, it, it, it sounds a little boring, supply chain, but, but it's not. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. The, but, but first of all, let, let me say that the digital buying behavior has had a huge impact on the global supply chain. But there's another, another factor that's had a major impact. You may have heard of it, the pandemic. The pandemic has, has dramatically uh, increase the level of unpredictability in the supply chain. Where, where will workers not be available? Where will routes, uh, where will ports be closed? Where will there be issues in getting raw materials or product from point A to point B? Combined with digital buying behavior, which, which, which just creates new variables that need to be mapped into the supply chain. So, so supply chain, let's, let's just define what it is. You um, walk into the Lions Choice store uh, in uh, Crevecore. And uh, so supply chain, kind of a boring, nebulous term. You, uh, gee, you've got to stop by the restroom. You walk into the restroom. You walk into the stall. The Georgia Pacific toilet paper dispenser is empty. 
Now global supply chain is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. So what determines whether there's toilet paper in that stall or not? It goes all the way back to the sawmills. It goes back to the where the lumber is, is transported to the Georgia Pacific operations that turn it into wood and then turn it into paper products, uh, paper containers, toilet paper, building products, and so on. And, and so today, so many decisions need to be made because of those variables, hundreds and hundreds of decisions a day regarding where do you, where, where's the best place to get the raw material? What are the best routes through which to transport the raw material? Uh, any, any number of those things. And using advanced automation, advanced analytics, uh, machine learning, those kinds of technologies, that it's just a much more effective way to ensure that the product gets to where you need it, when you need it. So, I mean, another, just as far as the, the, the digital thing, though, one really quick fact is because of e-commerce and what, what the pandemic did, just to show the connection, that we, we were all headed toward more, uh, more e-commerce. We were all headed toward buying more things online. The pandemic accelerated that five years. That's what it did. And so wow. we need a lot more cardboard containers than we used to need because they got to be put your product has to be put in a container and delivered by Amazon and dropped on your front porch. And so you, you go right back to the old supply chain thing. There's another wrinkle. Got to produce more more containers. And that, that's clearly a challenge, but it's also seeing and understanding and using, as we mentioned, effective decision making as it pertains to um, the analytics. So one more question about that, though. Um, given that it seems consumers are changing, certainly consumer behavior is changing. What in your work with organizations are you seeing as challenges when it comes to helping them with their analytics? That's a great question. In terms of in terms of helping with analytics, there's there's first that there needs to be support from the organization's leadership. Just accepting that analytics play a role, that a data-driven organization is the right way to go. So, so that sort of support, the change behavior processes and just getting everyone on board. And you know, you know what the key is to change management, to get to someone to adopt something new, is to show that it makes their life easier and better. Not that it's just going to give them a headache because they're used to something and now they got to have to learn something new. That's the key. And so just making it clear that analytics will make things easier and better, help you do your job better and and uh, and achieve your career goals better. Uh, the part of what is happening is that organizations are needing to hire more data scientists, data analysts, data engineers and then incorporate those, integrate them into the fabric of their operating model. So we're, we're working with a lot of companies around those issues all over the country. We work with about 75 Fortune 500 companies, and everyone is dealing with this issue. Hey, Ron, before we wrap up, I wanted just to make an observation and really uh, ask a question. So around town, I run into a lot of your Darty colleagues in nonprofit roles and, and leading in our community. How do you foster that uh, giving back culture within Doherty? Because I know it starts from the top. I started the company 37 years ago. We'll, we'll, we'll be close to 300 million in revenue this year. Uh, Jan Darty and I have started the company, still the owners of the business. Several years ago, I declared that Darty is my life's work. It's my life's work. And one of the more, most important components 
of my life's work is to make a positive difference. And so it's part of our culture. It's absolutely driven throughout the organization. And it, it even relates back to your first one of your earlier questions. How do we hire people? Because we make it clear that we're more than just a job. We're more than just a company to go to work for that does some sort of a business thing. One of the things that I tell my people is I promise you two things. If you work with me, if you join my team at Darty, I, ca I cannot cannot promise you everything will always be perfect, but I promise you two things. One is I'll always be working to make things better. And second, if you're part of this team, you will be making a positive difference in this world. That I promise you. And so that that that's what propagates through the culture. And, and I am so just so inspired by my team and how much they love to be part of their communities and to make a positive difference. Well, Ron, thank you so much. It's fascinating to hear you. Thank you for joining Michael Scully and me for this episode of PNCC Speak, the language of executives. Hey, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you.